Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Chicago White Sox finishing off the season series. Five, the Cleveland Guardians three. That's right. The White Sox take the season series, uh, you know, officially. Uh, part of the reason why the Cleveland Guardians are not really in contention this season. Um, I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And just like all of you, I thought we had this one. I thought the bullpen was going to hold up. I thought a 3-2 to two lead. I, I knew it was going to be ch- tough, but I, I thought the 3-2 to two lead was going to hold up and was going to stick. Listening to that ninth inning, you cannot blame Emmanuel Classe. I mean, listen to this line. It's ridiculous. Uh, in his inning pitched, he gave up four hits. Three runs, none earned. Zero earned runs. No walks, three strikeouts on 22 pitches. He's hard hit three times. So, it's the top storyline of the game. We're going to work this game backwards because uh, the the Guardians had it. They absolutely had it. He was out of it. He was out of this game. Classe got his ground balls. And he just could not. I mean, it starts with Aloy Jimenez chopping one off the plate to even start the inning, which is ridiculous. A negative 75-degree launch angle. Hit distance, one foot. Uh, they don't even have an exit velocity. They couldn't even track it. Uh, so Aloy Jimenez starts by chopping one off the plate. Andrew Vaughn gets a nice solid single, 97.7. Give him credit there. He got a good single off of Classe. Strikes out Trace Thompson. Strikes out Yasmani Grandal. Okay. He's working him. And and Classe is not a big strikeout guy either. He is a ground ball pitcher. That's where he succeeds. Oscar Colas comes up, and he chops one down the third base line. Rokio comes charging in. This ball was hit at 51.6. It basically works like a bunt. Rokio comes charging in, gets it, makes the scoop. Now, remember, Rokio is traditionally a shortstop. Remember, the first time he like ever played third base was when he got called up to the majors. And Ahmed Rosario was standing out there at shortstop, so they needed to find a way to get him on the field. So, Jose Ramirez DH'd, and Rokio played third. So, it, not... You know, some of these plays are not traditional for him. Shortstops don't generally have to charge in like this. This is a third baseman's play. So he comes charging in, fields it cleanly, but then one hops the throw to Cole Calhoun at first base, who's not traditionally a first baseman. He's traditionally a right fielder, but he's playing first base for us because we don't have much first base depth. And, uh... Skips the throw in there, uh, and uh, Colas is safe. They actually give him a hit on this one. They think that the uh, the charge in and the throw attempt from Rokio, the, the level of difficulty must have been high enough that they gave Colas a single instead of giving Rokio or Calhoun an error. Either way... Rokio probably had time to slow himself down. Like, he threw on a dead sprint. And that's part of the reason why he one-hops the throw. He probably had time to slow himself down. 
Because Colas was still a step or two behind the throw. Uh, and make a stronger throw into the chest of Calhoun. But on the other end, Calhoun needs to come up with that. Like a first baseman, an MLB first baseman, I, I'm pretty sure Naylor comes up with that. Uh, then you get Zach Remillard. And Remillard hits it hard now with the bases loaded. Hits it hard to Rokio's right. Rokio has to take a step or two back, take a backhand. Uh, and then fire across his body. Now, again, traditionally a shortstop. Uh, I guess you do have to make short throws from pretty deep in the hole of the shortstop. But a throw from third base is a little bit longer, especially going back to your backhand. So it's a longer throw than Rokio's used to. And he one-hops the throw again. And Calhoun can't come up with it again. Can't come up with a one-hop again. And uh, the run comes in to tie the game. Everybody moves up a base. And uh, Remillard is safe. This time it is a fielding error. This time they give the error to Rokio for the throw. So Emmanuel Classe, that's twice he was out. That's three, basically three balls that were put in play off Emmanuel Classe that didn't deserve to be hits. And they end up tying the game. Then Elvis Andrews comes up and he just smacks one up the middle at 106.6. Shoots it up the middle through the infield, and two runs come in, and they blow this game wide open. And Andrews is just absolutely freaking ridiculous, uh, hitting against Cleveland and hitting at Progressive Field. We'll get to it in a second. So, but it's another ground ball. Class A got his ground ball three times in a row. He got his ground ball, and two of them, our infield can't handle it, and the third one just finds its way through. That's a little. Bat bip, you know, bad luck for Classe. So, I, Classe, don't be mad at yourself. Don't beat yourself up over this one. You you literally did your job. And uh, your infield defense lets you down. Now, uh, you know, Marlon pointed out, and I'm sure a lot of you are thinking, uh, I have a few issues with coaching decisions today, Marlon said. Why didn't Fry catch today? Gallagher is so bad offensively. It's a terrible idea betting two terrible hitters, Strong Gallagher, eighth and ninth in the lineup. Uh, Bo Naylor had pitched the night before, so he was getting the day off. Uh, And then basically goes on, why didn't you use Fry as a defensive replacement? You could have moved Gabriel Arias to first base. Uh, There were lots of options there. Uh, Apparently, post-game, Francona said that Fry is dealing with, I I thought he said hamstring. Fry is dealing with some kind of injury. So that's why Cam Gallagher was in there. I had the same thought, Marlon, when I saw the lineup come out. What the heck is Cam Gallagher doing in there? We don't need Cam Gallagher to start games for the rest of the season. It should be Fry, and it should be Bo Naylor. If you want to keep Cam Gallagher on the roster because he provides mentorship to Bo Naylor and Fry, and you want to use him as a defensive replacement late in the game, I understand that. But why are we starting him unless it's because of injury? Unless Fry really is hurting that bad and you're trying not to put another guy on the IL, that's the only reason, that should be the only reason Gallagher is getting any more starts. There's just nothing left in that bat. And as good of a game as he calls, there's nothing left in that bat. And we really need some hitters in this lineup because there's stretches in this game where we go ice cold as a team. 
So the other question is, why didn't they put a defensive replacement in for Cole Calhoun? Now, it couldn't have been Fry because, again, his leg was barking. Fry wasn't going into this game. Okay, because of injury, we have to accept that. Um, But Gabriel Arias is very capable of playing, and you have a pretty talented young shortstop prospect, and it's a better defensive infield. If you put Jose Tania in it short and you move Gabriel Arias uh, over to first. Uh, he said something. About, did he say something about not wanting to mess with your starting shortstop? Like you don't move your starting shortstop? It, maybe, but in this situation where Cole Calhoun is playing completely out of position, he's doing you a favor playing some first base. They asked him if they want a defensive replacement, and he said, nah, it's okay, I got this, and then didn't didn't got this. That's weird. Why? Why would it go down like that? Why was Francona asked? I know he's the veteran manager who, you know, protects the veteran players and stuff like that, but why would he ask Cole Calhoun if he felt comfortable enough to go out there in the eighth and ninth inning and play defense with a lead? Just get your best defense on the field. It's a problem Francona's had all season. He refuses, refuses to make substitutions late in the game. He refuses to pinch hit for Miles Straw. He refuses to put defensive replacements in. We've talked about this all season. It makes sense that Cam Gallagher would go in late in a game and be a defensive replacement. And he refuses. It made sense that Gabriel Arias would go in as a defensive replacement for Ahmed Rosario the whole season. And he refuses. I, again, I know I know. pushing Francona in his postgame presser is a tough situation. And Meisel showed us how uncomfortable it can be. But it really would be nice at some point if someone would push Francona on why he refuses to use defensive replacements late in the game. So, yeah, it, it costs us. Cole Calhoun at first base absolutely costs us. Uh, what else? What else goes down in this game? Uh, the other decision I don't understand from Vancona comes in the fifth inning. And it's when the Guardians were rallying. It's our literally our only rally of the game. The Guardians were trying to make one rally hold up, which is probably another problem in this game. Like, you, you need... We talk about it all the time. The Guardians need to score multiple innings. They need to spread it out a little bit. They're not good enough to have the giant rally in one inning and uh, cover the entire game like that. But they do score three runs here in the fifth inning, and it starts with a Cole Calhoun double. Uh, He's able to find that gap in right center field, get it just down in front of the right fielder uh, who was, was a Trace Thompson today? No, it was a Colos today. Uh, Thompson was over and left. Uh, so he gets it down in front of Colos, kind of skips past him, gets a double out of it. Gabriel Arias comes up. This is the Gabriel Arias we've all wanted to see. He cracks a uh, two-run home run to the bleachers in left field. 103.2 mile-per-hour exit velocity, 33-degree launch angle, 414 feet, 28 out of 30 ballparks. Are you kidding me? Apparently not course field or chase field. This would have been a home run. Uh, but even in, even in, uh, Baltimore, this would have been a home run in Camden Yards. So, you know, he got a hold of this thing to left field. Uh, so it, 
it's again, it's the swing we all know is in Gabriel Arias. It's the power and the drive we know we know is there. It's about seeing it on a consistent basis, and that's what this whole second half of the season is all about for Gabriel Arias. Proving that he can do this consistently enough to be the guy at shortstop. Uh, Brian Rocchio then comes up. He has a nice quick swing. He slashes a double off the progressive sign in the right field wall. Just came close to getting out. Would have been a home run in 8 out of 30 ballparks, but it just hits about two-thirds of the way up the wall in right field. 101.7 mile per hour exit velocity. Then we get to Straw and Gallagher. So it's tied at a 2-2 game. Rokio is now standing on second base. He is the go-ahead run. Remember, I believe it was earlier in this series where Quan was on first in a fifth inning of a tie game, of a low-scoring game, and uh, he tried to have Andres Jimenez bunt twice to move him into scoring position. Now, in that situation, he was moving him into scoring position for Jose Ramirez to bat. We're at the bottom of the lineup here. But now you've got Brian Rocchio standing on second with nobody out of a 2-2 game in the fifth inning. And you've got your worst hitters up. So why wouldn't he try to move a runner up here with Straw? Why would he let Straw swing away when he wouldn't let uh, Andres Jimenez do that the other day? I'm guessing Francona would say, well, Rokio's already in scoring position, so why not let Straw swing away? Well, Straw's a terrible hitter and gets very, very lucky here. He chops one up the middle. The pitcher just tips it enough that it throws Elvis Andrews off his uh, balance, off his game. He has to make an awkward stab at the ball and then throw back across his body. Throws wide. Straw uh, moves up to second. And, or no, Straw doesn't move up. Straw stays there at first. Uh, the ball ricochets back, but it allows Brian Rokio to come around from third and score. So Straw gets it. He gets the runner in. I don't think, yeah, he doesn't get credit for the RBI because the run scores on the error on the throw. Uh, but Straw finds a way to get it done. Not the way I would have drawn it up. Uh, it probably should have just been an out. And uh, it does get the runner in the score. So we take that 3-2 lead despite Straw getting very lucky. And then he's standing there at first. You've got a 3-2 lead. It'd be nice to get him in scoring position. There's nobody out. And Cam Gallagher is up. Your catcher who can't hit for anything. He's hitting 132. And he doesn't lay down a sacrifice bunt. They don't try to move Straw up. And instead, Cam Gallagher grounds into a double play and kills your rally. Kills it. <sighs> Another reason Cam Gallagher probably shouldn't be in there if you could avoid it. I guess with injury, you can't avoid it. But, like, take the bat out of his hand. Have him lay down a sacrifice bunt. Move Straw up. Have Straw try to steal. Straw was already thrown out stealing once in this game, but hell, try again. Um... Why not? Why not run like crazy? Jose Ramirez was able to steal two bases. Let's straw run free. And then if he makes it a second, then Cam Gallagher can lay down a bunt. Like, I don't get it. I don't get what he's doing with those eight and nine hitters, just letting them up, get up there and swing when everything's telling you that's it's not going to lead to a lot of success. All right. Other than that, the offense was ice cold after a Stephen Kwan leadoff single to literally start the game. Uh, they get no hit through four innings. The next four, you know, 
I guess the next 12 outs, they get no hit until that fifth inning double by Cole Calhoun. And then they get quiet again. Uh, the only base runner for the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning is a Jose Ramirez walk. So the offense starts ice cold and they finish ice cold. Uh, on the other side of the game, uh, you do get a good pitching performance uh, from the bullpen, from Xavier Curry. Um yeah, Curry is now officially a member of the rotation. They're stretching him out. They got him to 65 pitches in this game, and he goes five innings for you. Uh, so it gives you a little more. Uh, you think maybe next start they can get that up to 75, 80 pitches, but they're stretching him back out as a starter, and he's kind of earned the fifth spot in the rotation right now. So uh, expect to see his name in there every five days. Uh but he goes five innings, gives up four hits, two runs to start the game, but is able to settle down. No walk, so doesn't hurt himself that way. Four strikeouts on 65 pitches. He is hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times on 65 pitches. So you can extrapolate that out to 100 pitches. Uh, he gave up a lot of hard contact, but he's able to uh, manage. And after surrendering those runs early, Look, he leads, starts the game by giving up a huge double to Elvis Andrews, high, high off the 19-foot wall. He then strikes out Moncada, but then gives up another one to Luis Robert, high off the wall in, in center field. It luckily hits the 19-foot wall and doesn't clear the 9-foot wall right next to it, but it goes for a triple, brings in that run, and then Aloy Jimenez is able to get the sack fly and bring in Robert from third. So they score quickly. They get their two runs quickly and then don't do anything. Kind of get shut down offensively literally to the end of the game. Uh, so it's pretty impressive there. Uh, he does give up a couple more doubles, but he's able to get out of things. He gives up another double to Elvis Andrews in the third. Gives up a double to Gavin Sheets in the fourth. But he's able to get out of it. Uh, and then shuts him down one, two, three in the fifth inning. Then the bullpen comes in. Uh, Sandlin gives you a clean inning with a strikeout. Henches gets into some trouble, does give up two hits, but balances it with two strikeouts. And De Los Santos is able to come in and on three pitches get a big strikeout to end that seventh inning. Trevor Steffen is solid in the eighth uh, with a strikeout and nothing else. And we already talked about Classe, who should have gotten the save, should have been out of it in the ninth inning. So a good job by the bullpen of following up on a Xavier Curry start. Um, man, the, the uh, I was listening to Hamilton a little bit, and he was talking about how the bullpen kind of turned things around recently. And yeah, after going through a tough stretch, it does feel like the bullpen has maybe turned a corner again and found themselves again. So uh, a good job from those guys on the pitching staff. Xavier Curry, what was working and what wasn't working. Going over to the Illustrator, that first inning, he was up. Uh, a lot of his pitches... We're up uh, in that first inning. The fastball, the slider, the curveball, there are a few at the knees, but a lot of them are up, up at the letters, and they were able to take advantage of that. The hits uh, from uh, Robert and from Andrews. Andrews went after a high fastball at the top of the zone. It was on a 2-0 count, so he was swinging free, and he saw something to his liking and drove it uh, at 102.7 off that wall. Uh, Luis Roberts was on a 1-2 count. And it was a slider away, but he didn't get it away. He left it in the strike zone. I was actually 
he did that a lot. He threw that slider in the strike zone a lot. It actually, we'll see, was an effective pitch for him. He just doesn't get this one out of the strike zone. And Luis Robert is able to turn on it because it is up and out over the plate at 103.7 and hit it to center field. So you'd like to see him get that slider off the plate, make Luis Robert expand the strike zone. Instead, he leaves it there. Um, so, yeah. So uh, he, he actually got Yohan Makata to strike out on a high slider. Uh, so uh, he was pretty high, but then kind of settles down and uh, is basically pounding the strike zone. Like, really, a lot of the results, a lot of the outs he made are on pitches that are down uh, below the belt. A lot of sliders down. He's able to get a lot of outs from. Uh, but if you look at uh, just his pitch location in general, kind of pounding the strike zone. Uh, stayed high with his fastball most of the day and just pounded that slider in the strike zone uh, as well. He was able to get it down after that first inning, keep it kind of down at the knees. And it proved effective. So going over, checking out his CSW numbers, uh, the exit velocity was a problem. I mean, he averaged exit velocity on the day was 94.1. So they were hitting him hard. All his pitches have averaged exit velocities in the 90s. So it's not like there was one pitch that was really getting hammered and everything else was inducing some weak contact. Everything was getting hit hard. But the slider is the pitch I want to talk about. Had a 41% whiff rate, 7 whiffs on 17 swings, plus 5 called strikes. It's a 50% CSW on that slider. Now, they did put 8 of them in play, so they they also hit it pretty hard. But uh, that's a pretty good uh, CSW on that pitch right there. It's a 37% whiff rate total on the day, and it's a 35% CSW. So... Despite the hard contact, Curry actually had a pretty decent day. Got some whiffs on the four-seam fastball as well. 36% whiff rate on that. Um, So, yeah. So, he had a pretty decent day once he was able to settle down and get out of that first inning. Obviously, you don't want to see that starter go out there and give up two runs in the first inning. Probably not a recipe for success long term. But, heck, this is Elvis Andrews we were talking about. I said I was going to come back to this. The numbers are ridiculous. Like, I'm sure you all know that Elvis Andrews kills the Guardians, kills Cleveland. We've talked about it before on this show. Hamilton, you know, was mentioning it in the broadcast. Uh, but you got to hear the numbers. You just have to. And now 98 games, and I believe Baseball Reference is updated because I am recording this in the morning. Uh, in 98 games and 413 plate appearances against the Guardians. So he's faced us a lot. He is hitting 337, slugging 523. It's a 9.21 OPS against Cleveland for his career, a 9.21 OPS. It's the highest of any team of anyone he's ever faced in Major League Baseball by a pretty wide margin. The Atlanta Braves are next at 888 OPS. So it's a huge jump to the Cleveland Guardians. And yeah. It's just un- unbelievable uh, how good he's been against us. Then the numbers at progressive field are even higher. He's hitting 376 batting average at progressive field. It is by far his highest batting average. And this is in 51 games at progressive field. Uh, the next closest is at Atlanta, both Truett Park and Turner Field. He's got a 333 batting average there. Uh, the OPS 
is sl- slightly higher at Truist Park, but he's played only six games there. In 51 games, he's got a 1030 OPS at Progressive Field. At Tropicana, where he's also played a lot of games, he's hitting 881. So that's the jump there between number two and number one. Again, Atlanta's Truist Park, a bit of an outlier. He only played six games there. Uh, that's unbelievable. Over 1,000 OPS when playing in Progressive Field. Why didn't we ever just go get this guy, right? Like, come on. Uh, although it didn't work with Eddie Rosario. We thought it might work with Eddie Rosario when we brought him over, and that didn't really work the way we thought. So who knows if he would have played in a Cleveland uniform all his life if those numbers would have actually held true. But Elvis Andrews officially absolutely kills Cleveland no matter what. Whether they're playing home or away, he's got our number. And does it in this game. Uh, two doubles, the big hit in the final uh, in the ninth inning, two RBIs, a run scored. He's, he gets us in this one. All right. Uh, that wraps up my thoughts. Uh, let's give the emailers a chance here. Um, Marlon, let's finish off your email here. He said, what an embarrassing and unnecessary loss today. The Guardians who dominated the White Sox with a 12-7 record a year ago finished 5-8 and eight against them this year. Tito's poor management cost them the game, and hopefully the beat writers ask him about it. Shout out to Xavier Curry, who settled on nicely after a rocky first inning. I'd like to give another shout out to Gabriel Arias for his two-run home run. And then we already went into the, the issues Marlon had with defensive at first base. Uh, he said the front office is to blame for the lack of depth at first base. They've had so many first basemen bust in the minors over the last few years. Mike Poppy, Bobby Bradley, Nelly Rodriguez, and Jake Bauer. It's sad they had to use Cal Calhoun at first base. The depth behind Josh Naylor is so bad. The loss is a direct result of the inability to create depth. Um, he went on with some other coaching decisions, and he said team morale has to be at a season low, and this is the wrong time to be playing sloppy baseball, especially with suspensions looming. I haven't heard anything about that. It's one thing to get swept on the road at Houston, but losing the series at home to the lowly White Sox is absolutely brutal. Tomorrow is the first of nine games against the Blue Jays, Rays, and Reds, with Toronto coming to town for four. Um, yeah, it's going to get tough. It's going to get tough from here. So thank you, Marlon, for the email. Um... Jeff with a G, Jeff and Columbus uh, message in. Uh, he had some thoughts about the fight still between Ramirez and uh, and Anderson. He said, after listening to Hammy and then watching the interview with Jose from last night after the game, my respect, love, and admiration for Jose Ramirez is even greater. As he mentioned in today's podcast, sometimes you just have to confront a bully, and it appears for Jose last night was that time. He apparently warned Anderson a few times before uh, – about playing the right way with respect for the game and other players. He didn't listen. In fact, he got belligerent thinking Jose would back down, but nope, he found out. Um, so yeah, so he went on a few more thoughts. Uh, he said, I suspect many don't understand the struggle that many Latin ballplayers go through making into the big leagues. I may be generalizing too much, but baseball means so very much to the players coming from the Dominican Republic, uh, Puerto Rico, and other similar places. Okay, thanks again for the great podcast giving us a community to share our love for Guardians and baseball. All hail Jose Ramirez, patron saint of right hooks and fastball hunters, uh, Jeff and Columbus. So uh, he also, Jeff, then sent another one with his thoughts on the game. He said, I really thought we were going to win this one, especially with Class A coming in to close it out. But yet again, the Guardians managed to cough it up pretty inglorious manner. Bad luck infield hit, solid hit, two errors, not sure of a throwing error, yikes. 
Kase not missing as many bats as I would have liked. Yes, you know, it's not really his game. He, I mean, he does have three strikeouts in the inning, but I told you, Jeff, he's a ground ball pitcher. That's what he does. Um, He said, uh, nice to see Arias hit another home run. I agree. Calhoun flashed some power, but probably... Oh, that's right. He was robbed by Luis Robert in center field. I forgot about that one. There was a moment in this game where we could have seen... Uh, a rally going, but Robert made an absolute sick catch, leaping into the wall and, and bouncing off it in center field. So yeah, he did rob one from Calhoun uh, in the middle of this game, and Curry showed some grit. Jeff continued. Um, so yeah, so uh, Jeff, I appreciate the thoughts. Um, he did say, to be fair, most MLB teams lose their number one, their number two starting pitchers. I believe he's referring to uh, Shane Bieber and. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, uh, they're going to struggle, uh, not to mention Cal Quantrill not being available to eat innings and win a few games. Uh, well, maybe we can use the rest of the season to evaluate some of the young players and, of course, watch Jose play. He's truly a pleasure to watch. So, yeah, thank you for the email, Jeff. And, yeah, we are. That's what we're doing. We're, we got to appreciate these young guys in the lineup and, and see what they're capable of. So uh, it's time for MVP on the day. Uh, I'm actually going to go with Xavier Curry. Uh, it could have been a lot worse after the way that thing started, and he really settled down. I know he got hit ridiculously hard, and we don't want to see that, but just a congratulations more than an MVP on the day for uh, being officially named to the starting rotation, getting out of his kind of long relief mop-up role in the bullpen, and really it's an MV- you know, kind of an MVP on the first half of the season kind of thing. Like, He's been impressive. He, he's really figured some things out at the major league level. And now he's earned another shot to be a starter, which is big. Some guys don't. So, you know, Sam Hedges didn't get a chance to be a starter again. Xavion uh, Curry is getting a chance to be a starter again. He's pitched that well. So congrats to him. And thank you for keeping us in the game. Right? He, he really did. Kept us in the game. Held him to those two early runs. And it gave the offense a chance to come back. So Xavion Curry taking home MVP on the day. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You can follow me on Twitter at David Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on these young players, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. You can go to the link in the show notes. You can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>